Welcome to the Laity Podcast, a space for meaningful conversations about Christian spirituality, discovery, and practice. Thanks for joining in. Welcome to Laity Podcast. We're, we're grateful to have you on board and um, real excited to have Terrence Lester here with us. Terrence is a speaker, activist, author, thought leader, um, and, and much more. Most importantly, he's here in Atlanta and is a native, uh, native to the ATL. So Terrence, we're grateful to have you, man. How are you? Man, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Uh, really grateful to be here. And yes, I am a ATA land, as they would say. I love ATA. that. <laughs> Southwest yeah. side too, right? Yeah. Uh, Southwest. Um, yeah. All of that. Love that. Well, we're grateful to have you on, man. You just put out a um, book, I See You, um, out with IVP, and we got a chance to get the book and, and read it. And of course, grateful for your work there and what you're doing with Love Beyond Walls, even beyond the book. And we're going to cover cover a lot of that here. But Terrence, obviously, I, I've listened to a number of your talks recently, and your story is compelling. And you know, I uh, obviously you've told it many a time, but I was I was curious if you could just give our listeners maybe a quick intro just into to who you are, and uh, you know, in, in a few minutes, if you can, uh, would love to just give give folks who don't know you um, a little taste of of Terrence Lester. Yeah, sure, man. Uh, so I was born and raised here in the city of Atlanta. Um, and grew up, uh, started out with both of my parents and then they soon split, um, Hmm. and left me in uh, a pretty, a pretty bad place, uh, based upon the environment, um, that was, you know, uh, in my home, home life. And so by the time I was in middle school, man, I was in and out of gangs being put out of uh, middle school. Uh, by the time I was in high school, um, I ended up, you know, running away from home and, and dropping out of high school for a moment. And I remember vividly uh, one experience that I had, man, I was uh, at an alternative school and I was, you know, uh, you know, leaving school one day because I had slept in a park the night before. I mean, I'm 16 and a half years old and um, I was fed up. I was making up my mind to literally drop out and never go back to school. And I started to walk away from the building. I walked out of my classroom. It was an open campus. So um, I had that, that, that kind of like space and freedom to do so. And I'll never forget, I, I encountered a person experiencing homelessness. Uh, this guy had no clue uh, about any of the things that I had gone through or where I had slept the night before, but he stopped me and he asked, Hey young man, is that, your school back there. Um, he didn't know me from Adam, man. Uh, he was in his mid fifties and it looked like he hadn't, um, uh, showered in a couple months or whatever. And he told me, whatever you do, keep going to school. Um, because one day you'll be a leader. Uh, this Mm -hmm. guy didn't ask me for any money, but that uh, became kind of like a catalyst in my life to start to think, man, maybe there's something more, uh, to my life. So I, I ended up uh, graduating and, uh, you know, kind of like my faith journey, man, uh, still was bumping my head and searching for identity. And I ended up in uh, a jail cell one night. I had finally decided to go away to college and had um, made a wrong decision. And while in, in a jail cell, man, this, this other inmate walks over to me. Uh, we're in a small country town and he, he asked me for if I was going to eat the dinner that they had just given out. But most importantly, he asked me, uh, what on earth was I doing there? And he wasn't, you know, trying to figure out what kind of crime or, uh, what did I do to get in there? He was basically asking me why I was uh, wasting my life as a 20 something, um, year old. And he shared the gospel with me. Uh, so the first time that I literally, 
heard the gospel, man. I uh, was in jail uh, overnight. My mom came down. She got the charges dropped. I left and I uh, got plugged into a church. I'm shortening the story sure. a little bit and uh, gave my life to Christ uh, shortly thereafter. And uh, kind of like the rest is history. Wow. So I had my share of uh, my fair share of, uh, you know, bumps and bruises, man. But God redeems. Yeah. Amen. So how, how did you, uh, if you were coming to faith uh, on the other end of all that, what was it like being met with these, these folks that were sort of speaking into you? Uh, what, what, like what framework did you have for kind of understanding what was happening or did this kind of like a weird coincidence as you were, as that was happening? Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of like, um, I got a friend named Jay Bailey, uh, a couple of years ago, I interviewed him for one of our uh, documentary films called Voiceless. And uh, in the interview, he says, man, if you grow up in 10 blocks of concentrated poverty, um, there's no ability for you to dream uh, because mm-hmm. all you see is what's before you. And uh, I, I, I take that phrase and I kind of like use that as um, a framework for how I would describe my life. Just imagine going through uh, different experiences mixed mixed with trauma, mixed with, uh, you know, a limited view of manhood, mixed with, uh, you know, impoverishment in many cases or single mom working two and three jobs and have no time for you or your sister uh, because she's trying to make ends meet. I mean, you you mix all that together and then God sends anomalies (laughs) Mm. uh, or people into your life. Uh, to speak uh, words to you that you hadn't heard before. Um, that shatters a lot of things, mm. man. Um, and, and it piques your interest in a way that causes you to to, to have imagination. And so uh, God did that a number of times in my life, even with my friend's father, uh, who became my mentor. Um, if I could share this story really quick, man. Oh, please, he, go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, Mr. Moore, he, I mean, I'll never forget the, the day I called my friend Eric. I was probably 16 and a half years old again. I was uh, begging for change at a gas station because I needed to use the pay phone. Back then, I didn't have a cell phone. And I was calling him to see if his parents would allow me to come over to his house uh, to eat dinner because I was going to sleep in the park again that night. I had left home again. Me and my mom were kind of at odds. And uh, he picks up the phone. He goes to ask his father and uh, he comes back and he says, man, my family loves you. Come on over. I'll never forget pulling up to that house and Mr. Moore walking out to uh, my car, um, which was on E. And he hands me a hot dog and a soccer ball. He said, man, you just like this soccer ball. I I say, what are you talking about? He says, because this soccer ball is placed in an environment it didn't ask to be in in between two teams and it gets kicked around. He says, just like me and you and everybody else in this world, we're uh, born between two parents. And sometimes we didn't ask for the environments that uh, we've gotten ourselves into. Mm. And he says, but like you, you've been kicked around. But he says, you want to know what? Uh, the way that you sur- the soccer ball survives this, this game and all of the kicks is uh, based upon what's on the inside. And he started to speak to me about my purpose, man, and say, man, God has placed something uh, special on the inside of you. And then he tells me to turn a ball around and read these words. And it says, made for all weather or something like that, made for all purpose. And he talks to me about my purpose. He says, the soccer ball survives this is because the manufacturer made it uh, to survive all of these kicks. And then he says, lastly, the way that the soccer ball overcomes the kicks because every soccer ball has a goal. And he started to speak to me about my goals, man. And so uh, he became my mentor. And he was one of the reasons of the first Christian men that I ever seen love his wife, love his kids, uh, pastor a church and love mm. the homeless. Wow. He was a guy that I called uh, when I asked, should I marry her? You know, I've been married 13 years. He was a guy that I called and said, man, should I save up, work this warehouse job to put myself through Bible college? Uh, he was a guy that I could call when I said, man, I'm thinking about starting ministry. What do you think? And he was also the person that inspired me to start uh, my organization. But I'll never forget uh, the first year I started Love Beyond Walls, um, he passed away from cancer. 
Mm. I'll never forget standing uh, before his casket because his uh, son and his wife asked me to say a few words, me and a couple other people. Um, but everybody was that was up there uh, were people that he had helped and uh, spoken life into. And it wasn't a, a big funeral, but it was all about the one. And he lived and modeled for many of us what it means to live a life where you see other people the way mm. Jesus sees other people. That's great, man. Yeah. You know, wow. if someone was to look at your life today and read this book or any of your other books or talks, it, it appears from the outside to sort of the untrained eye that, oh, man, Terrence is just so clear on his calling, on sort of what, you know, what God's put on him, what he feels, you know, called to. And I imagine it wasn't always that way, right? And given that most of our audience probably on average is in their 20s and 30s, sort of, and you hear a lot of language around yeah. calling, a lot of language around, you know, purpose and what, you know, I'm trying to find kind of like what I'm for and what God's calling me to do. And tell tell us about sort of your, when, what pieces of your journey, what were sort of the instrumental, you mentioned this, you know, gentleman who's a mentor, obviously a huge factor. Were there other moments where you started become more to become more clear on this is what I'm called to do and be, um, and what was it like, sort of unveiling that? Yeah, man. I mean, so you know, back then I didn't really have like I was young and I was searching, and you know, I didn't, I wasn't sitting right. down talking to therapists because <laughs> I didn't, I, I don't think I even. Uh, saw that as something that was really healthy uh, based upon, you know, how therapists are viewed in, uh, you know, uh, my culture. And so Hmm. um, what I I started to do was I started to write. I had always been a a writer, man. And I started with, uh, you know, writing poetry and kind of using that as something that would be catharsis for expressing myself and expressing all of these emotions that I was kind of like dealing with. And so what I ended up doing, man, I would, I would, uh, I would read these pieces, uh, out loud. And then, uh, little by little, I, I started like asking my friends and my family members if I could read these pieces and man, like I, I would share and they would say, man, like, you're really, you're really, really good at this. You, you know, you, you have a gift of writing and speaking. And I, were, I would share them with mentors. And, you know, all of a sudden I found myself uh, standing in a, sp- a spoken word uh, cafe at like 2021, 20, uh, pouring my heart out uh, about things that I had gone through. And every time I would leave the stage, man, uh, somebody would come up to me and say, like you should really consider, uh, you know, speaking a little more. And then I started doing it in church. And I'll, I'll never forget, uh, after I gave my life to Christ, I was I was around 21 years old or so. And I had been like speaking in different places, just like doing poetry or whatever. And I'll never forget, uh, my uncle had introduced me to this, this pastor, the pastor of his church, because I was uh, attending his church at the time. And he says, you know, my, my nephew does spoken word poetry. Uh, he does a lot of black history pieces, et cetera. And the pastor is like, okay, give me your information. So I gave it to him. I was like really hyped. I was like, yeah. man, I'll, I'll do something for you right now. <laughs> he says, no, you don't have to. But uh, he had his assistant call me, man, um, to have a like a three-minute piece together. It was almost like the next month. Uh, for Black History program, and the first time I ever, you know, kind of like spoken in front of uh, audience, it was probably like five to ten thousand people. It was wow. five thousand people gotcha. both services? Oh my god! <laughs> and like you talk about going <laughs> going from like, dude, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life to like, <laughs> you know, sharing my heart. Yeah, yeah you know, up in front of all of these people. And then afterwards people were like coming up to me, asking me like, you know, where do you come from? Like what, what pain in your life caused you to speak so passionately and all this stuff. And so I started sharing my, like my testimony, like, (laughs) like, yo, I was just in jail. Like, yo, I I was going down the wrong path. Wow. And, uh, you know, the Lord sent all of these, I mean, depending upon what church you go to, 
there were deacons in this church, man. I had all these, you know, mentors that were like almost twice or, uh, you know, triple my age, uh, just kind of like taking me under their wing. And I was asking them questions and I was, you know, kind of getting discipled throughout that whole process. And God began to like bubble up in something inside of me. Like I would go and listen to sermons. I was like, man, I get. I just felt like that's what I was supposed to be doing. I, you know, wow. I can't explain it. And I would go to Mr. Moore and I asked him, I was like, man, I keep getting this feeling in my heart that I'm, I'm supposed to be sharing messages just like this. And he would just kind of say, well, you need to, you know, slowly follow. Like if, you know, just take one step after the other and slowly, but surely every step that I took led to another opportunity led to, you know, being involved in youth ministry led to becoming a youth pastor, led to all these different things. And before you know, you know it, I, I look up and I'm like, "Wow! Like, I'm in wow. ministry. Yeah. What what is going on?" You know? <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was kind of like that process of just. I, I would tell the listener, man, like if something in, is in your heart, and I'm a I'm I'm a guy. I don't like the. I, I'm just a guy that. I, I, I'm a risk taker, man. Um, I would be, I would rather be obedient to God than to sit with mm-hmm. something that God is leading yeah. me to do and do nothing. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, well, if there's one thing that folks won't be disappointed with, with this book, it is, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of things that you won't be disappointed with. Don't, don't get me wrong here, but the stories, there is just, there are so many stories in this book. It's great. And uh, I'm wondering if you could kind of just walk us through a little bit how you got from the story you just told us to sleeping under a bridge for a week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great question, man. Um, so I started uh, working in different churches, and then I was on you know a couple church staffs, um, and I'll, I'll never forget I was on uh this church staff it's a great church uh had a really great relationship with uh the leader that was there and i was a co-leader and you know i would go there man and i I would be in my office and literally the the building would be empty uh all throughout the week except on maybe like a, a wednesday night for like different you know practices or whatever and right, then right, right. sunday morning and i would always walk out of the building and walk to the edge of the street and see cars flying by people walking. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be, (laughs) you know, out here, this is where the action is, you know? And, uh, during that phase, like, um, I I really started the process, uh, my personal story. I, I was reading this book by Dave Gibbons and, and, uh, one of the chapters he says, sometimes God will use your greatest pain to lead you to your destiny. Mm. And, um, I sat with that man and I kind of leaned in with uh, the raw emotions of what I felt like. Um, and I'll never forget, uh, being in my office and, you know, placing, placing these one word phrases on the whiteboard that I felt in reading that like misfit and outcast and, uh, excluded and, all of these different uh, black sheep. Uh, I mean, and then lo and behold, man, I look up and I go, whoa, like all of these are like, you know, I saw homelessness, a theme of homelessness. Um, mm. And like, bro, I'm married. I got kids. I got, you know, a good job now. I'm, I'm doing well, but uh, it wasn't, the like physical sense in the, in the word homelessness, it was like more of the sociological sense of the word homelessness, because you can be homeless and still have a roof over your head. Uh, you know how you've been in crowds, but you still feel alone. You know how you've right, uh, okay. been around people and you don't feel if we define home as right. a place of love, acceptance and belonging. Right. And so um, I felt that and that led me to, uh, you know, start to, go out and be proximate to those who were, you know, physically, uh, without homes. Uh, because I remember, you know, uh, uh, pre-education, pre-degrees, pre all of that stuff, man, uh, what it was like. And I wanted to be in close proximity. And so 
we've always been serving outside uh, the walls of the church, my wife and I. And I started to develop this relationship with this guy named Kurt. Um, I've been showing up to just have breakfast with him for three months. And uh, one day I felt comfortable enough to ask Kurt, you know, a a hard question. I'm like, yo, like, man, why don't you allow me to take you uh, somewhere to get checked into a shelter, you know, try to find you a place to rest. Let's get, you know, from behind this abandoned building with all this trash around. And bro, he, he wrecks my world. Um, firstly, he tells me a story for the first time, tells me that, uh, he was in a car accident with his wife and child, lost both of them, uh, became depressed. Yeah. And couldn't function at work anymore and downward spiral, uh, ended up, you know, living on the streets for four years after he lost everything because he was still dealing with that grief. And, uh, he, he asked me like, you know, what, what do you want from me? And he says, better yet, I'm be- I'm willing to bet you if you go to the shelter and you stay there, uh, it's so uncomfortable that you'll probably end up on the backside of this building with me. I'll never forget that, man, because on a ride home, uh, leaving him in the, the November cold, um, I was reflecting on the scripture found in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where it says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And I'm like, man, what, man, it just wrecked my world because, you know, we have faith in the Christ that comes here, (laughs) leaves everything to serve us. Uh, He takes off these shoes uh, to walk in our shoes, Mm. according to uh, Hebrews, right? He becomes the high priest that we can empathize empathize and sympathizes with us. And I go, man, I want to do that. I want to follow Jesus in this way. What does that look like in the modern context? And so um, I go home and the Lord had placed on my heart, man, uh, you know, take off your shoes, take off the privilege and, you know, walk in the shoes of those that you're willing to serve. And I'll never forget sitting across from my wife and we were having dinner with our kids and she knew something was on my heart and she says, what's going on? And I say, I think I'm supposed to do something uh, that's going to challenge me even more. And she says, what? And I say, I think I'm supposed to live as somebody experienced a homelessness. <laughs> and she goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> she yeah. says, what? Said, no, 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 no. You're, you're not. You're not. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. She says, what? And I, and I explain and we talked through it and, uh, you know, fast forward, not even a month and a half later, my wife was dropping me off under a bridge uh, with my kids in a car like a few days before <laughs> Christmas. So everybody thought I was crazy. Like, why are you leaving your family doing the Christmas holidays to go be out, you know? Yeah. And uh, this powerful truth is that, uh, you know, God provides this great gift in Christ and what the thing that I was trying to model to my kids, my family, is it, it, it was better to be a gift uh, than to receive one. And so um, they they uh, they still resonate with that message. And, uh, you know, that was almost six years ago. And, um, yeah, man, I, I ended up under the bridge. Yeah. What is your thinking, though, at that, like when you're stepping into, I'm going to go live under this bridge. I imagine it's not because you're saying, well, I'm going to go change all these people's lives, right? Like, obviously you're not saying, well, these people have something that, yes, you have something to serve and to offer, but I would imagine also a receiving, yeah. right? That you needed as well and a learning and a seeing. Just oh, man. Give, give us more insight into kind of your, what are you thinking going into that? Like what, what is yeah. the intention? Yeah. So my intention was not to go under uh, the bridge uh, with any, uh, pre premeditated solutions right, right. or to give anybody anything. Uh, if anything, I was going under the bridge for all of the people that would follow the documentation because I knew there were so many people who were on the outside of this, the experience of homelessness or sitting on the sidelines or attending churches, but still had so many biases towards uh, okay. people who are impoverished right. mm. and going through these experiences like I wanted to uh, 
in a sense, uh, lay down my life in a brief moment so people could see clearly the humanity and the dignity and the worth and value of, of those living under the bridge that whom God cares about. Yeah. And my intent was to use that as an act of uh, servant leadership to mobilize people to say, hey, man, you need to get off your butts and go and do something. Hey, you need to befriend. Hey, you need to become proximate. Hey, you need to not stand in judgment, but get close enough uh, to individuals where you can become Christ to people. Uh, the one yeah. thing that I love about Jesus, man, is, is when you read the New Testament, it says, and Jesus saw. I love those phrases. And Jesus saw. And Jesus saw. Uh, but mm. not only did he see, he walked over and he got proximate to people. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, there's something wow. prophetic about that. This sort of standing with that is mm. for us. I'm thinking about the Matthew 25. I'm thinking about Jesus showing up. We wouldn't even talk about that, right? I mean, Jesus showing up in the other, but beyond, you know, which is a, an incredible whole rabbit hole, but also this reality of, yes, I, I am here prophetically to shed light on, expose, or open the eyes of others to some, you know, people that, that are invisible. Did you, did you get a lot of reactions? Like were, 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 did you get a lot of like uh pushback? Like you're, you're either like, Oh, you're, you're just being insane or, Oh, you've got some kind of hero complex. You know, you just need to get over yourself. And did you ever have, did people just react to you that way? Man. Uh, you know what? When I first decided, uh, you know, me and my wife together with our, our family, um, that I would do that. You know, we, we took into account all of the risk factors. You know, what if something dangerous happens? What if, you know, you're robbed? What if, you know, anything could happen? And then we kind of reconciled with, um, you know, I had to get to this place where I, I got to this place where, you know, if I lost my life, literally, uh, doing this to advocate and give visibility to those whom God cares about, then that was it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, I, I literally had to embody that and hmm. sit with that and embrace that every single day. And um, the way in which... I documented, I wanted to document this in a way that, that gave voice, uh, to those who, who already had voices, <laughs> um, just like remove the silence mm -hmm. from, uh, individuals. Like I could speak to people about how we were under the bridge and I'll, I'll never forget in the cold December, bro. And my toes feel like popsicles oh and I gosh. can't sleep because I'm sleeping on jagged rocks. I have nothing extra with me. And I go over to my friend, Tony, who is battling a, uh, a terminal illness, right? He's battling a terminal illness. And I ask him, hey, Tony, man, like, how do you make it through the night when your feet are freezing? And he goes into his tent and, and gives me his last donated pair of socks. You know mm -hmm. what that does to somebody who has many privileges? And I go, how in the world is it that mm -hmm. we have uh, population of people who are marginalized, uh, looked at as problems, uh, but yet uh, out of their own generosity, out of their own scarcity, are givers, right? Yeah. Or I could tell stories about how me and my friends stood on the corner to beg for dollars, not for drugs or alcohol, but because he needed to buy his medication. And we had people throw their beer bottles at us and people make slurs um, and pass us by. And we asked 427 people for a dollar and we only got 11. And his medication was a couple hundred dollars because he had no health insurance. Like I could, I could talk about these stories in a way that wasn't where it was not about a hero complex. It was all about, man, we need to be mindful and thoughtful about the people that we pass by um, and viewing them as problems instead of people going through problems. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the things that, that hit me as I was reading your book is, uh, I mean, you, you've clearly been in this as, as a, really as a lifestyle. I mean, like the, these people, 
it, the stories that you tell, they don't read like, oh, I visited this country one time and here's what it's like there. Uh, they read way more like, oh yeah, I've got this friend and his name is so-and-so uh, and this is what he's like. And I, how, how did you, was it difficult to, 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 to establish that connection? Um, and what, what kind of barriers did you feel like were, were between the two of you as you were wanting to, to move beyond just a kind of, I don't know, giver of hospitality and recipient of hospitality kind of relationship and move into a, a, a real relationship. Yeah, man. <clears throat> and, and, and the thing, so what I try to do when I, when I talk about um, people who are just people is to like normalize personhood. Right. Um, I was, it's funny cause I was, I was on the phone with, um, this sergeant, uh, for, from the police department. And we're going to do some work with like training officers on best approaches, uh, when dealing with people experiencing homelessness, because there's no training really for that. And so, uh, he's a man of faith and a man of great compassion. And he was just basically saying, you know what uh, burns me up is when people always ask me, what do I say to someone who's experiencing homelessness? It's like, what do you say to your friend? Mm, you know, how do you, yeah. how do you start a normal relationship? <laughs> um, I think sometimes people think because people have less than them that they don't have any morals, any character or any preferences. You know, there's people without homes that like sports. There's people without homes wow. uh, that have a favorite clothing line. There's people without homes that have uh, some of the same preferences. And, and I always add, uh, tell people, man, like if you want to befriend somebody, do it the normal way. You know, share stories, engage in conversation. Um, there's a, a, a favorite quote that I love by Melody Petit, man. She says, gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos to order, confusion to clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, and a stranger into a friend. Mm. Um, mm. <laughs> I think that's uh, very pr profound, that um, gratitude, right? Uh, being grateful towards our Father in heaven, being grateful that God has given us a the gift of life, uh, to be proximate and in community with others, uh, not just certain people, but all others. And so like using that as fuel to say, how can I turn a stranger into a friend? And then it stems from a place where, man, I just shared my story earlier. God sent a lot of strangers to me to show me unconditional love. Mm, and yeah. all I'm trying to do is be that same stranger to other people to show that unconditional love. And uh, one of the reasons why I talk about spiritual poverty in our in, in the book uh, is because I think spiritual poverty is one of the greatest bridges that we have uh, in the Christian faith uh, to use as a bridge to walk over and have compassion towards those who are materially um, poor. Why? Because we're all poor in some way. Uh, <laughs> we use this language in the, in the Christian faith of we have a savior that paid our debt. <laughs> we were spiritually bankrupt, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, Paul even uses this language when he says that uh, Jesus became poor so that we might become rich rich in what? Rich in relationship with God. Uh, so we, we are very familiar with uh, the language of empower, impoverishment immaterially, right? And if we understand uh, what Christ has done in that, uh, Paul also using this, uses this language of reconciliation. He's brought us into a relationship with God. Uh, then we have joy, right? We have joy that should overwhelm us uh, based upon the love of God ha that God has extended towards us uh, on God's own behalf. Right. It's nothing that we can earn. It's nothing that we can work for. Uh, Paul also says it's by grace that you have been saved. Right. Once we really understand that, that should overwhelm us to the point where we want to share that same love of God with other right. people. Yeah. <laughs> no matter who we come in contact with. And so um, since we have this framework 
and understanding of what it means to be immaterially poor, man, that should, uh, you know, well, you know, overwhelm us to the point where we want to show it with anybody materially poor or immaterially right. poor. Yeah. Terrence, how do you, so, so how do you, so obviously you speak regularly, you have a, a Christian, in particular, a Christian and religious audience, right? That, that folks that you talk to, you speak at churches, you know, this, you're looking at this through the framework of, of G- none, non-Christians too, man. Well, so the, I'm con- I'm about to make that contrast. Okay. okay. So, so you, you obviously have, a, you have the religious audience, you have the Christian audience, and then there's plenty of people I'd imagine in the city and some that are religious that are not, but plenty of right. Atlanta people, city people, philanthropic people that wouldn't say anything that have to do with Jesus, but they're seeing your work. They're like, this is incredible. You know, I, I'm just curious how your do you notice a sort of how do you speak to those audiences differently and what divide do you see like do you see a gap with christian folks and we'd include ourselves there right like with that are saying like yeah this is this is great but like how do you speak into sort of the gap in action right you talk about like we're a you know movement of doers with love beyond walls like what what do how do you sort of change your tune, if you will, for folks that are actually in the church, right? Versus how you're you're speaking and then getting reactions from the secular world. I'm just curious how you think about that, and if you're you know more intentional with folks that are saying, "Yeah, I'm following Jesus," but maybe there's a big gap between that statement of belief and and action, you know, with these with these folks. Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great question, man. I um. I'll start by saying this, that uh, the way that me and my wife see what we do or how we live, it's a lifestyle, right? We see that as our greatest sermon that could be never spoken. Uh, And what I mean by that is um, we are living a sermon, brother. Um, so no no matter what room we go into or God opens the door for me to walk into, um, by the time I talk, even if I'm not permitted to use Christ, uh, I've seen, I've said so many, uh, phrases that come straight (laughs) from scripture, bro. Like when you say a movement of doers, that's out of James, be doers of the word and not hears only. Um, when you talk about being compassionate uh, towards those who are impoverished, I'm taking that from uh, Matthew 25. I'm also taking it from Jesus's model in Matthew 9, when he saw people who were weary and broken and then uh, like sheep without shepherd. And then it says he was moved with compassion. Like I take a lot of how I live my life straight from the word of God, straight from Jesus's lifestyle. And so um whether I'm permitted or not, man, I don't see any separation in it for me. Um, right. <laughs> because I, I can't yeah. account for how other people approach it. The only thing that I can do is uh, share uh, principles and philosophies based upon lived experiences and what feeds my faith um, to give wise counsel. Right. Uh, wisdom is universal. You know, and all that get and get wisdom and then get an understanding. Like I, I've been around politicians and I could talk that language. I, I've been around pastors and I could talk that language. Right. I've been around teachers and educators. I could talk that language. And what, what I'm finding out is uh, sometimes uh, uh, the language is the same thing. I just think the people who are uh, saying whatever they're saying uh, either is actively live in it or it's all theory based mm-hmm. right and i'm a i'm a mm-hmm. i'm a practical dude and uh my thing is about okay like how can we take what you say you believe and apply it to your life right um so i'm going to show you uh paul says follow me as i follow christ and yeah right uh, yeah yeah no I, and no, that's helpful and part of what i'm getting out too is obviously there's a we talk about folks being seen it's yeah. or not right so you have a whole unseen population of folks in this city by that are unseen by everyone for the most part yeah. right yeah. but then what is it like for folks to feel unseen by the church in particular what like what is your experience with folks on the streets or experiencing homelessness friends of yours 
that you've built relationships with, what, what is sort of the perception of the church and, you know, or, or the, you know, either their presence or sort of lack thereof. And what can we learn from that? Hmm. That's a great question, bro. Man, I was, um, ah, it makes me emotional a little bit, but I was, um, Hmm. it was day two and I was living under this bridge, um, in December and I had befriended this guy. Uh, his name was Robert. His name is Robert. 33 years old. And, uh, he just starts telling me a story, man, about how the first time he ever, you know, used crack, uh, the drug was uh, at age 12 and his mom gave it to him. Um, he started talking to me about the drugs and the violence and, you know, being off and on uh, the streets with his mom. And how it became like almost a cycle and a a normality for him. Um, and we get into, uh, you know, I share my story with him and I was telling him, you know, some of my experiences and, you know, talking to him about faith. And we got into a conversation about God. He, and he makes this statement. He says, you, you know what? You know, I have... Um, some some hesitance about the church. I, I go, why, man? He, and it had just been a group that came under the bridge that gave us flowers and cookies and water, and then they had left. He says, because of that right there, um, people come and they leave, and they don't know us. Hmm. And um, he says, that's hurtful. Uh, and then he quoted the Bible because he knew the Bible. He was like, how, how could you love a God uh, that you don't see, uh, but you hate your brother right in front of you? And he started asking me these like really hard questions, man. Wow. Um, and I stayed there with him. I listened to him all night and we talked more and we talked more. And, uh, Robert ended up giving his life to uh, Christ under that bridge within that same week. Um, wow. And this is not like, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but he said, man, one of the reasons why is because he says, man, you stay, you stay. A week later, I was uh, preaching at this church, man, and, and Robert was with me. So like I, I bring him along, man. Um, I mean, it's discipleship, right? And so yeah. I'll never forget, uh, like I, I was sharing a story and, uh, you know, somebody came up to me and was like, you think uh, uh, Robert will want to, like, make his faith, faith public? And long story short, man, he ended up, you know, I was able to baptize him um, that day. Wow. And uh, we built a relationship got close he we got got him a job got his own place man and just kind of like walking with him and but i'll never forget that to answer mm -hmm. your question man is like you know how we are seeing was which is basically what he was saying you know sometimes people view the poor as lazy and uneducated or as criminals right or um um you know like they cause this on themselves you know uh you know, 29% of all surveyed non-Christians said that it was a lack of effort uh, to blame for a person's poverty. But like 46% of Christians supported this negative wow. viewpoint, man. Um, and, wow. and this is antithetical to the life and witness of Jesus. Like, you know, um, like sometimes Christians hold negative views towards the poor and, and they blame poverty on sin. Like, if you're impoverished, then it must be because you've sinned or you're living uh, right. in a moral life, uh, which is the wrong framework. Um, I love the book written by uh, Howard Thurman, uh, Jesus and the Disinherited. And he reminded us, is, you know, Jesus was a poor outsider. He was a member of a, a Jewish minority under Roman occupation uh, without rights and privileges 
in a wider society, man. And so my question is like, how can those who go to church on a Sunday who follow a Messiah who, who experience poverty and homelessness, right? Uh, birds of the air have nests. Uh, foxes don't have holes, right? Have holes. Birds mm-hmm. of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. How could we follow Christ that is closely uh, relating to those who we see today, but yet, yet we still have a negative view of those who are living on the streets, man? And what I, what I'm advocating for is that uh, Christians specifically. Uh, there are over 2,000 scriptures in the Bible that communicates about the poor, <laughs> God's heart for the poor, uh, that we start to, you know, rearrange or reorient our perspective of how we are to be used in the kingdom of God to love those who are who are considered least. They aren't least. They are considered least. And what I mean by that is that just because you are impoverished or you mm-hmm. live on the street doesn't mean that you don't have anything to offer. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question, man. But that's good. How, how do you how do you navigate the tension? I mean, well, like you're 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 a father, you're a Christian, you're an activist, you're you're a leader, you're a husband. How do you navigate uh, the situations when, like the the ideals that sort of ground those different spheres of your life, uh, can conflict? Yeah. Like, so th- th- I, um, right. you know, you, you've you've got a family to take care of, uh, and of course, one of the one of the one of the things that often I think as Christians, or I mean, I guess I can only only speak as a Christian. That's my experience. Uh, one of the one of the the blinders that we put up is that oh it's 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 so dangerous you can't we, we're we're like too scared to do anything. So what happens mm. when when your conviction and your your values in these different spheres sort of pull you in opposite directions and how do you navigate that? It's a great question, man. Um, <clears throat> wow. Bro, I like y'all, man. Y'all are good people. Let me just no. Let me just say that before I answer, man, because like <laughs> this is a, this is this is prophetic, right? Um, uh, it, it's this whole we're we're talking about family values right yeah. now, right? Man, I was um, it was uh, probably last Christmas, man. We had this big this big event, <clears throat> if you want to call it that. We call it a gathering and. This particular gathering, we had like all these families bringing kids, and I, I was struggling with like, what should I say? Because I know I wanted to make it important because I knew kids would be present, and I'll never forget being up in front of this this big uh, volunteer group, and I just said these words. I said, "I don't use service as punishment for my children." Mm-hmm. Man, you can hear the room got really quiet and then I kind of went on to explain what I meant. Um, and what I meant was since my daughter's entrance into the world, and my son's entrance into the world, me and my wife have made intentional decisions uh, to set up a, a set of core values that our family lives by and, and breathes every single uh, moment that we are in existence uh, together. And one of those values is service, right? And so for my kids, they don't see service as being any different from any other activity in our lives because it's a normal rhythm, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's just like going to the store. It's just like going to have fun with mom and dad. It's just like going to serve. Uh, it's, it's what we do as a family. And so they don't view uh, what we do as punishment. The opposite end of that is when kids grow older and, uh, you know, parents haven't taken time out to reorient the core core values of their family and make sure that uh, not only are you speaking these things, but you're incorporating them into the rhythm of how you live them out as a family. Then what happens is, I've seen parents right, uh, have right. kids and they say, my, my kids are entitled. Right. Let me drag them down to a soup kitchen yeah. <laughs> uh, to learn to be grateful about all of the things that you 
your all of your privileges. But by that time, uh, if they're if it's not you know being incorporated as a normal rhythm, the kid feels like they're being punished, mm-hmm. right? By the time they show up to serve, and so how I reconcile that is making sure that me and my wife stay on the same page. Uh, with our core values and they change from time to time, you know, there are different seasons for different things that we're going to focus on as a family. Uh, but the main thing is that we communicate and we make sure that we are in constant communication and we're in constant talks, not just with each other, but our children and giving our, our family, you know, giving my children, you know, what should we do? What do you want to do? You know, like, giving them that room to like freely dream and think about how our, our family should navigate. And so that's been really helpful for us in navigating those tensions because we just put it all out on the table, man. And we factor it into who we, what we stand for as a family. Can I ask how old your kids are? Yeah. uh, My daughter is 11 and my son is eight. Got it. Awesome. Yeah, so yeah. St- Stephen and I are always trying to get parenting advice, like for, from every guest. Literally, if you go back to our thing, like we start in one conversation and then it slowly pivots to. So, what is a dad? We just trick people. We just trick people to do it on the podcast. No, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, because we're like, you know, I'd like to think we're actually trying to figure this stuff out, but I think other other people are too, and it's just the reality yeah. of. Yeah, Steve and I both have a number of real young kids, and when you're kind of in the throes of building a culture, um, yeah. Of That's service, right. I like what you're. I love what you're saying about not. It, it can feel sort of token if it's not a built-in right. part of your life, right? And so part of it's still right. figuring out how to yeah. how to build that. Yeah, and then the the beautiful thing about it is you control how much or how little uh, you want to incorporate it. I mean, I'm, I mean, <laughs> if you're the person that doesn't like to do a cannonball into the pool you know, sit on the edge and put your feet in, <laughs> you know, uh, kind of tiptoe around a little bit, fill it out, you know, but like stay active in doing it until you find yourself, you know, emerge, submerged in, in, in the deep and, uh, you're loving it. Um, that's kind of like my analogy. And it, the reason why I say this is prophetic, man, cause I'm, <laughs> I'm actually writing a book right now oh. on family. Oh man. On oh, nice. family. You got a publisher yet? <laughs> Not yet, man. We're going to pit soon. Hey man, when you, when you get it, you, 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 you let us know who it is. We'll work it out. We'll get you back on. <laughs> okay. Cool. We'll actually, meet, we'll actually meet in person. Cause it's like a crime. We're in the same yeah. city. Um, no, that's all. I, yeah. I, I got I got another question. This is a little, a little bit of a pivot here. I know we're getting ready to to, uh, to land this thing here in a minute, but you know, I I mean, I've just had this has been phenomenal. I've really enjoyed talking with you, Terrence. And I'm I'm wondering, um, you you how old were you when you became a Christian? I was 21. 21. Okay. Yeah. Uh, have you like would would you describe yourself as having gone through some kind of a faith deconstruction? Uh, phase in your life or, or how do you like, right. I, I asked because a lot of our folks, a lot of, a lot of the folks that I think you get disillusioned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so, and there's, can you, can you, can you unpack that a little bit? And I'm, I'm I'll ask my next part after, I guess after you do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I think everybody starts on this journey of uh, learning uh, what God is like uh, from the people that we admire, right? Um, whether it be a pastor or whoever, it's like we hold as our, that's, that guy discipled me, you know, <laughs> um, until you get to this, this place in your life where uh, when you're reading the text and you're comparing that to what was told to you by someone (laughs) who is uh, discipling you or who you esteem that like you have a disillusionment, like in, you know, like you have a literal deconstruction that happens in uh, what you, you know, believe and think about God. And you start to, you know, uh, develop a a personal theology uh, I like to use personal theology when God literally 
uh, uses the text to, to, to communicate to you directly, man. Um, uh, things that he values that other people did not show you. And so, yeah, man, I went through that phase and I've grown and some things that, you know, I were, I was around early on in my earlier years. I'm no longer around those types of environments because uh, they're toxic sometimes. And sometimes they are limiting and (laughs) sometimes they're not even about uh, what they preach uh, from stage. And so you go through that phase and then you, you finally land in the community where um, uh, you, you, you feel accepted and uh, you, you kind of like are around people who are trying their best to, to live not a perfect life, but a grace filled life, man. And, and, yeah. and follow Christ. So yeah, I went through that process. Yeah. I, uh, I asked because why, why, why'd you ask, man? Why did you yeah. ask? So I, I asked because <laughs> what I, what he's what setting I, you up. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, um, your, you, your, your faith is clearly so vibrant and, and, and there is something uh, I, I, I kind of have this theory and I'm probably partly shameless. He's took this from Richard Beck, one of our previous guests. Cause I think he nailed it on the head. Um, and it's, and it's, it's that, deconstruction um just to, to some degree is is somewhat of a, a, a of a privilege like when you like and when, when i say deconstruction i'm referring to uh you know oh i grew up in whatever tradition oh my gosh mm-hmm. you know they, I, all these things that i thought were true they're not true I, you know why, why? And, and 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 it, and it kind of leads them on to uh maybe wanting to dig into different arguments or reading other um uh, other things, and there and there's a reaction to that, sort of a like a uh, a, a reaction, a pushing against, um, just a, another move of the pendulum in a different direction. Um, but and and sometimes, you know, you like you you start off, they'll start religious, and then it'll just slowly drift into like, okay, now I'm you know, per, like just progressive or something. Not that those two categories are not you know compatible, but. Um, those, maybe they'll start off conservative and religious and then they'll just become progressive. And then basically now there's Richard Beck says, well, at the end of the day, like you're just, you're just a guy that votes a Democrat and that's nothing, nothing wrong to be a Democrat, but like, what does your faith sometimes in the process are the way that our faith actually informs and, and pushes our life and animates our life gets lost. Uh, mm-hmm. because like we had a place to stand, we felt like we had a place to stand and then, uh, when we when we started deconstructing it, we never we never we never built anything to stand on yeah. again. Um, mm, and, yeah. and what what I hear from you is like what you're standing on is not like the arguments that you've read or all the books that you've read. Like what you're standing on is these moments of connection that yes. that, that you have made that are basically impervious yeah. to argument. I mean, they're just yeah. like. You know, I, I, that 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 I think to me is, is is that's the point of what I'm getting at is is deconstruction without building something a foundation like what you have laid seems to me to inevitably just lead to ruin. No, no faith. <laughs> I mean, like, you, no, you, no faith. Like, yeah, like you. So I almost, I almost, um, I almost think of like. I don't know if you remember when the Georgia Dome, uh, like they blew it up and it collapsed and there's this whole deal with this Marta bus right in front of it. <laughs> yeah. Kind of blocked the camera or whatever. But like, yeah, I remember when the dome came down, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was dem- demolished. It was deconstructed, right? Um, but the city planners or whatever, had in mind what would be their next um (laughs) uh and and man i i agree with you like when we destroy things or we blow things up uh without leaving our heart open uh to what god wants to do next or how (laughs) god wants to construct something uh that is beautiful uh then we leave ourselves empty or in places where we can become isolated, right? And become like, as you, the opposite of vibrant, Mm -hmm, (laughs) which is like dormant. And so uh, for me, uh, the things that really continue to speak to me about 
the uh, the text, man, is that there are so many different uh, things that are in the text, in the Bible, that is speaking to where I am now. You know, it's speaking to the growth and development of where I am now. And that gives me something to stand yeah. on. Yeah. Um, where, you know, I'm talking about all these things, man, now. And like, it's founded uh, on stuff that I read in the text. You would have met me, what, 12 years ago? I wouldn't have this conversation mm. because I was still listening to <laughs> so-and-so and, you know, being kind of like told what, you know, you believe this, believe that, and in many instances from people who never read the right. text. <laughs> Man, I yeah. I feel like, Stephen, just to piggyback on that, I mean, it all becomes real when we're talking about actual human interaction and God showing up in the other and yes. uh, it's like we yeah. can talk yeah. like in the for those of us in deconstructive seasons. And listen, if you're like in your mid twenties and you were kind of in the process of sort of figuring out what the heck am I even like, there there is a time for everyone to kind of go through what they need to go through. But there's then end of the day, you pull up to a red light and there's a homeless dude in front of your car with a sign. And then all, and then right. it's like yeah. what or you're what you know, like we can be pl- figuring all this out theoretically. And in our minds, and there's again a time yeah. and a space for that. And then you're walking down the street, and there's a guy in front of you on the sidewalk. And then it becomes a very real thing. And there's sort of this element of, yeah, okay, there are flesh and blood individuals who not only have needs mm. to be met, but have words for us. I mean, that's what I feel, Terrence. I feel like you said it like five yeah. different times. Yeah. Like these people are coming to you and being like you're going to be a leader. You're going to do like, you're literally taking direction from folks without homes that you don't even know. Right. That are like speaking into your life. And to me, it's like, man, there's, there is something powerful about stepping into the gap, seeing the unseen and being not only hearing those people, but hearing like what God would have to say through that person for us, particularly for, and I'm speaking Mm. as a relatively affluent white young individual in the city is like there there is a word for me um and there's probably a word for for a lot of us yeah and, and that yeah. like that's like that's what that's that's how the bricks get laid like that is that's what reconstructs it that because that's yes and that, that's yeah. sort of what i'm where i'm sitting here as i'm thinking about this i mean I'm, I'm i've been through you know a few rounds of deconstruction and probably am still in other rounds of it but at the end of the day what i i mean i have to for me, I can get so lost in like, oh, I just interpreted that wrong or, oh, this is a bad argument. I'm going to get over here. I want to read this. And there's just the, – the, the fact of the matter is, and I think your life, Terrence, is a perfect example of this, that actually the, 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 the real – the solid foundation built on the teachings of Jesus aren't, aren't built on like translations or interpretations of the teachings so much as they're built on a life – that Dude. is oriented around them. A lifestyle. Yes. Um, and, yes. and and the connections with actual people, because that's man, I you can you can you can self-doubt all all day long, but every now and again you get those conversations that you just leave you crying, right? Like there's there's a there's a depth dimension to these people that is oh man powerful. Let, hey bro, uh theory doesn't produce fruit. Yeah. Practice does. Yeah. Yeah. Um we could sit around and debate and uh, have arguments all day about who's right and who's wrong. But at the end of the day, it's still somebody on a corner who hasn't eaten. Right. There's still somebody who has a child uh, that's going to sleep behind the building. There's still somebody uh, who is uh, displaced because of gentrification. Come on now. Like uh, at some point, what we are theorizing about, we need to put into practice. And that's where the fruit shows up. That's great. Yeah. Man, Terrence, thanks for coming on, man. I know there's a lot more we could we could say and would love to engage more in the future. I'd point folks to Love Beyond Walls, to getting a copy of I See You, reading the book. Terrence, anything else you want to highlight in terms of resources or where you'd, you'd point folks? Uh, <clears throat> man, I first of all, thank you all for having me on and uh, – you kind of put me on the spot. I could, I could rattle off a lot of books, but I could say one that um, kind of is like a inspiration to me outside 
of a lot of them is uh, Howard Thurman's Jesus and the Disinherited. Um, it's a really good book. So yeah, check that out. Great. Yeah. Great. I love it. Well, Terrence, thanks so much, man, again, for the time. And uh, I know our listeners appreciate the conversation and we'll be sure to link folks to uh, everything you guys are doing in the city. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thanks, Terrence.